Thank you, Lord, that it is your love and your strength that holds us, not our own. We'll be tested, Lord, perhaps in that knowledge this week. We'll get phone calls, we'll encounter situations, we'll face things at school or at work within our families that will make us wonder whether we can hold on. Remind us in that time, it is your strong right hand that holds us because you love us. So in Christ's name I pray. Give us attention now. Give us understanding of your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The place where we will be in your Bibles is in Luke 17. If you'd like to find the place there, I'd like to remind you that our church app, which is unlike the senior pastor of the church, the app is better than ever. The pastor's struggling from time to time, but the app is amazing. It will deliver the lyrics of the songs we're going to sing on Sunday and the notes, and it'll even leave you a little place on your phone or your iPad where you can fill in the notes as you go, okay? So if you don't have our app, Crosspoint HB in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, uh, probably not worth doing it now, but for next week, okay? If you're our guest, uh, hopefully you found a welcome card inside your bulletin. I'd love to have that back. You can give it to me personally, or you can leave it in the baskets at the exit. Just want to give you a moment to get your Bibles open or your Bibles turned on if you use your phone, okay? And look in Luke 17, because the passage is a serious one. It may be the most difficult passage in the entire Gospel of Luke, the message is clear. It's just undertaught. People don't want always to hear Jesus and to believe Jesus in the things that he said in Luke 17. There are two ways to experience comfort in this world. Just two. The first, my favorite by far, is to get some relief. If you're in trouble, for the problem to be solved, for the Test from the doctor to come back negative and tell you that you're not sick after all, for the money to come in, for the person to leave you alone, that's very comforting. Getting some relief from the problem is by far my favorite way of going through a problem. Yours? Sound familiar? The second way is far less popular, but just as good. When people go through great trials and relief will not come, the only way they can find comfort in those circumstances is to hold on to some great truth that will pull them through. I learned this early as a pastor, as a very young pastor going into the cancer ward. Almost every time I went into the room of a cancer patient, I noticed that the sterile walls of the hospital room had been decorated with truth. There were Bible verses there. There were pictures of family there. There were mottos there. There's a cancer poem reminding people that cancer is so limited because it can hurt the body, but it can't kill hope. Little sayings, little pictures, little remembrances of the beautiful things in life that are outside those walls, those I've noticed all my life have given people in, the in a cancer clinic hope, a truth to hold on to. My older son just concluded some very, very difficult military training. When he graduated, by God's grace and to God's glory, he, picture, he posted a picture of his patrol cap. It looked like it had been to war because, in a sense, it had been. 
And I noticed, and I was grateful to see, that on the bill of the hat, he had written two verses from a psalm. Inside the hat, he had written a reminder to himself not to quit, and he even wrote a little inside joke. And I said, buddy, I was really happy to see that psalm. He helped me understand the joke. And he said, Dad, when it was really, really hard, I would sometimes take my hat off and look inside it, and that's what gave me the strength to keep going. It's exactly what people do. In times of great trial, if relief will not come, if they're not assured that they will get relief, they find truth to hold on to. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 17. But it's not going to seem comforting at the beginning. There are sections in this sermon probably where you're going to think this is altogether a bit too heavy. And at a time, I would agree with you. In fact, when the pandemic started, this was one of the sermons I was going to teach. But way back in March, remember March 2020? Feels like 10 years ago, right? Our church literally had to change its plan from one day to the next. And as we went through this together and I looked at this passage and I assessed the state of our congregation, I heard fear, I heard hurt, I heard anger, I heard all kinds of difficult emotions. So I changed my plan. I used that terrible verb that we're all so familiar with. I pivoted and tried to do something comforting. But now at the end of September in 2020, having learned to live in this tough new reality, I think you're going to find this passage at this time timely. Even though it's 2,000 years old, you may be surprised by how relevant it is to today's situation, what we're facing not only in the country, but in our whole world. Look with me in Luke chapter 17 as Jesus begins to speak about the kingdom. And as Jesus begins to speak, and this is the difficult part, as Jesus begins to speak of judgment. I'm in Luke chapter 17. The Pharisees have come to Jesus with a question. Because these are words on a page, it's hard to read whether they're being sarcastic or sincere because these men genuinely hated Jesus. This is actually the religious machinery that's going to kill him. But they come to him with a question that was on everybody's lips. The question is this, is the kingdom of God coming now? And if not now, when is it coming? And Jesus is the right person to ask because, as you, if you've read earlier in the Gospel of Luke, he is doing things that are absolutely astonishing that clearly only God could do. You may remember in John chapter 3, a religious leader, a ruler among the religious class of, of the Jews comes to Jesus at night in John chapter 3. His name was Nicodemus, and he said, Teacher, we know you come from God. No one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. What is Jesus doing? Well, he's, he's healing the sick. He's commanding demons and disease. He's commanding nature as if he owned them. And he's making the case that he does crowds are flocking to Jesus. They are bringing him the most devastating and heartbreaking problems in life. They are bringing everything from the dead to the disease to their own physical hunger, and they find him satisfactory. They find him all-powerful in every one of these instances. 
And this had made many people believe in Jesus' day that surely this is the one who is going to bring in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not only on Jesus' lips, it's on the lips of everyone in Israel at this time because the first century Jew woke up in Israel with the terrible realization that the Romans were still in charge. That pagans who would one day consider their emperor God walking the earth who would do brutal things like offer a pig on the altar in the temple to desecrate it, they were in charge. So the Jews had a messianic expectation from reading their Old Testament that one day God would raise up a deliverer and he would come in and smash these powerful armies, make the soldiers who kept them oppressed run for their lives and set them free. It's everybody that's asking Jesus. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the first question the disciples have for Jesus when he's back from the dead is, are you going to restore the kingdom now? The kingdom needs to come. We want the kingdom to come. When is the kingdom coming? This is the question. They want some relief. Observe the answer. Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This passage, which is going to get really severe before I'm done, are just three simple truths that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is by far Jesus' favorite topic. It's what he speaks about the most often. If you read the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus came telling people, Mark summarizes Jesus preaching like this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Why is that? Because number one, the first thing Jesus teaches us here, and the Pharisees could not begin to understand it. In verse 21, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you first thing Jesus wants us to know about the kingdom. The kingdom is already here because Jesus has already come. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in the midst of us because the king is walking the earth. The reason Jesus can command the dead and make them live again, the reason he can calm storms and feed a large crowd with a kid's sack lunch is because he owns the universe. He made it according to John chapter 1. He sustains it by the word of his power. He's absolutely in charge of everything. Everybody should stop what they're doing, turn away from their sin, turn away from their own ideas and their own efforts at salvation and self-improvement. That's what it means to repent and believe the good news that the king has come and the kingdom is already here. Jesus said the kingdom is in the midst of you. And some Bible translations, including the older version of the NIV, have an unfortunate translation choice that actually has since been corrected. It says, some of you may have if you have an older NIV, it says the kingdom of God is, anybody have it? You know what I'm talking about? The kingdom of God is within you. And that has led some people to believe that the kingdom of God is just this very mystical experience. That's grammatically possible in Greek, if you'll allow me just a little geekery. 
It could be translated that way. That's why some very few translations have translated that way. But it's almost certain that that's not what Jesus meant because he's talking to the Pharisees who hate him. They don't believe he's the king. They don't believe he's the one who's been promised. What is much more likely and just as possible grammatically from Greek into English, Jesus is saying is look around. The kingdom is in the midst of you. I'm right here. The king is speaking to you. You're now experiencing the rule and the claims of the king, of the son of God, because I have come. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is the first and great truth of the kingdom. By the gift of his son, God has already placed us in the kingdom. That's what Paul announces to a different church, the church of Colossae. If you're a Christian, what the verse we're going to read together now is already true of you. This is what you experience from the moment you trusted Christ. It is something that you will more fully experience when the Lord returns, but this is your spiritual reality right now. Read with me, please, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, if you have your bulletin. Would you read that with me? Paul wrote, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, that was a very poor effort on my part to get you coordinated. Let's try again, shall we? My fault, not yours. Let's read the Bible. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, in this case, is God. What did God do in Christ? He delivered you. He rescued you from the domain of darkness, from the darkness of your own sin, from the darkness of experiencing God's judgment, and God has now moved you. He's transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. You're in a new kingdom because the king came, and amazingly, the king died for you. The king lived, died, and rose again so that you could have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. This is our witness. Last week, I invited you to be prayerfully attentive to see if someone would have, God would give you a clear-cut opportunity to tell them a little bit about Jesus. I got my chance within 48 hours. It was just a beginning. I didn't do as well as I should have. I didn't do as much as I should have, but it was a beginning. And God sent that person to me. Maybe he did the same for you. The good news of the kingdom is that we do not have to wait for the kingdom to come. It is not yet here fully, but by the death of Jesus. It is so extraordinary that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus has already happened. We are already living, in a sense, in the kingdom of God. You say, well, it doesn't look and feel much like the kingdom of God. The world's a mess. And you're right. That's what Jesus is going to address now. But the kingdom of God has already been inaugurated. The king has already come. He's already made a claim on your life. If you turn away from your sin and trust him, he's already moved you into the kingdom of God. You're already saved. You're already a citizen of that new kingdom. If this sounds very unfamiliar and a little bit hard to get your mind around, it's because this passage is difficult enough. These concepts are hard enough that they're usually not taught 
And Christians reading their Bibles kind of gloss over them and say, oh, I don't know what that means, and they just move on to something more familiar. Here's proof that the kingdom is already here because Christ has already come. Here's a much more familiar passage. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. It's a verse you probably know by heart. It's a verse you may actually know in song. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. You're seeking the kingdom who is already here because the king has already come. You're already, in a sense, spiritually, not fully, you're already in the kingdom of God, and this is our witness. But we know and we actually are going through quite a bit of emotional and mental pain these days because we also know that the kingdom has not yet fully come. That's the second truth if you're keeping track. Number two, the kingdom is still to come at the Lord's return. Look in verse 22. And it says, and he said to the disciples, notice the audience change. The Pharisees said, when is the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus says in verse 21, not in a way that can be observed. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by imposters. The kingdom is already here. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. To the disciples, he gives more teaching, and this is where it gets severe. This is where it gets hard. He said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. There's a lot here, so let me explain. The Son of Man is a messianic title. It's drawn from the book of Daniel. Jesus is saying to his disciples, gentlemen, hard days are coming. And as you continue to follow me, as you continue to seek the kingdom, a day is coming when you're going to wish that I was still here or you're going to wish that I would come back for you. Let me just ask you, Christian, have you said in 2020 since the pandemic started that you kind of just wish the Lord would come back and wrap it up already? Anybody said anything like that? I've heard that, said that in sincerity. I've heard people say it with tears. I've heard people say it as a joke, as a boy, just kind of this dark humor, this really, really hard thing that we're going through. Jesus knew that. Jesus predicted it. He said, a day will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. There are going, difficult days are ahead when you're going to wish that I was still with you. Or if I'm long gone, you're going to wish that I would come back to you. But, verse 23... I'm sorry, verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And people are not going to respond well to that. They will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. What is Jesus telling us? Number two, the kingdom is still to come at the Lord's return and the disciples of Jesus long for his return so that he will make everything right. Let me just ask you, do you want justice in this world? 
Did you hear the mixed reactions? Same thing happened at 9 a.m. See, we didn't know when the pandemic started that the pandemic actually would just be one of our problems. We didn't know that the pandemic would accelerate greater problems, bring others to surface, and make things that we had faced before as a country make simple but difficult problems into monsters. We've never, in my lifetime and in your lifetime, we've never lived in a United States as divided as it currently is. It's very difficult. And the cry on the street from both sides of an issue and both sides of a political aisle, everybody is screaming for the same thing. Justice. But when I ask you, do you want justice, there was a mixed reaction. Because in a sense, you do, and in a sense, I'm not so sure. The real question is, justice for who? Justice for my enemies? Of course. Bring them out here. Let's beat them down in public. Maybe they'll be ashamed. Maybe they'll say they're sorry. Justice for me? If you searched your own conscience, if you kept record of your own sins? I don't know about justice for me. The kingdom of God has come in the sense that the king came to die on the cross. He would be rejected by the very people he came to save. They would reject him and rebel against him. The creation would reject the creator. His subjects would reject and kill their king. But because of his coming, the gates of the kingdom had already been opened. God was welcoming new people into his family, new subjects into his kingdom. And now Jesus is saying, harder days are ahead. And a day will come when you will want to see me again. But hard days are going to have to come first. But the assurance is that... Someday, Jesus, at his return, will make everything right. In fact, church, that's how Jesus taught us to pray right now. When you pray, this is Luke 11, verse 2, this is the Lord's Prayer. This is something he's already taught them. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. What's the next prayer? Your kingdom come. Let me just ask you sincerely, let's be practical. Do you often pray as Jesus taught us to pray for the kingdom of God to come? There's some weird disconnect in our form of discipleship and Christianity where we read the Lord's Prayer and we read that Jesus taught us to pray for his kingdom to come and we just take it as religious language. Jesus is teaching us something important that the, the sins and evils of this world will not be solved by the kingdoms of this world. Listen, there's nothing I like about the pandemic except for some of the effects that it's had. One great thing about this pandemic is that it has shown us that every institution and human solution that we have devised is at its core weak and corrupted and corruptible. And that's entirely expected because all the systems of this world are built by sinful people. So many of the systems of this world look so good on paper until you involve human beings into implementing them. And then as a pastor friend of mine says regarding Christian ministry, it gets really human really fast. 
Why do things go south? Why are mistakes made? Why are simple errors in judgment and horrible crimes committed because people are sinful, because the kingdom of this world, Paul already said it is a kingdom of darkness. The only rescue possible was for Jesus to die and to move us into his own kingdom. And he taught us while we suffer in this world to pray for the kingdom to come. So let's do that. Let's look past our earthly solutions. And the next great candidate and the next great initiative and the next great project and tax cut or tax increase, however you feel about any of that, every solution says, look, this will bring the kingdom. This will solve our ills and it won't. And the pandemic has shown us that not only in the United States, but across the entire world. And what Jesus is promising is what people are screaming for in the streets. Jesus is promising justice. Jesus is promising what no human being can always enact faithfully every single time. Because citizens and lawgivers and law adjudicators, they all fail, they're all corruptible, they're all weak, they're all sinful. There is only one, the king, who will someday bring justice to this world that he made. And Jesus says a few things about this. It's going to be at his coming, and let me be practical and show you the next few verses before we're through. Verse 24. I'll read from verse 23, I'm sorry. They will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. His point is, when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, you won't be able to miss it. It'll be like lightning moving from one horizon to the other. Southern Californians, in my experience, don't have a lot of experience with lightning. In fact, I went to Bible college in San Dimas with a kid who had never seen it. I don't know how he managed to reach the ripe old age of 20 as a Huntington Beach local without ever seeing lightning, maybe even in a movie. But we were in our dorm at the Bible college and Chuck raced in yelling, he's coming, he's coming. We said, who's coming? The Lord, he said. What? He goes, yes, I saw his light in the sky. We said, Chuck, we hope you're right, but we think it's just lightning, buddy. And it was just lightning. Jesus says, as people's hunger for justice increases, as people want the kingdom, in this case, the kingdom of Rome to crumble and for Israel to be saved, people are going to tell you, there he is, there he is, there's a new movement, there's a new leader. Don't pay any attention. When the Son of Man comes, when I come back, it'll be like lightning splitting across the sky. You won't be able to miss it. Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, just like us. But on the day when Lot went out from, from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What is Jesus telling them? His return, the coming of the kingdom will be obvious. 
So don't be deceived by imposters or false signs. And when the Lord returns, people will be living their lives as usual. People will be finding the love of their life. They'll be entering marriages. They'll be giving their children in marriage. They'll be buying and selling. They'll be planting new crops. They'll be building new houses. Life will be very ordinary. And then Jesus will return and surprise them. And there will be justice. There will be justice. This is the burden. This is the severity of the passage. There will be justice, which always means deliverance for some and judgment for others. Justice always means deliverance for some and judgment for others. That's why in both services, it's rather extraordinary, but it just speaks to the, our reality of our own frailty and our own sinfulness. I asked two well-attended church services, do you want justice? There was a pause. Some people said yes. Other people said no. Other people said I'm not so sure. Why is that? Because true justice, the pure true justice of God that never fails, that never fails to have evidence, that never fails to know the truth, that never fails to understand a situation that cannot be deceived and always knows the absolute reality of every human being and everything we've ever done, he will bring justice. And that will mean that some will be delivered and others will be judged. And the only difference between them is their relationship with the king who came to die for them. Look at the pictures that Jesus uses to describe those last days. Verse verse 31, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop, in other words, when justice comes, Let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back and was lost. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. That's the message of the gospel. If you continue to try to save yourself, you'll always lose. If you try to hold on to this life, if you try to make kingdom now through your own efforts, if you try to be your own savior, Jesus says those who try to save themselves will always be lost. The only people who can be saved are those willing to give their, way, their lives away to Christ. Then they will find that he's absolutely the one he promised, that he will save them, that he will keep them, that he will welcome them into his rule. They will live in his kingdom. They will be part of God's family. Verse 34, I tell you in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. This is not a reference to the rapture. This is a reference to the judgment of God on the day of the Lord when God comes in justice and he's picturing people going about their ordinary lives Two people sleeping in a bed. One is taken in judgment, the other is saved. Two women are grinding. They're making grain. They're getting ready to bake. One is taken in judgment, the other survives and lives. What makes the difference? There's only one difference. Their relationship with the king who brought the kingdom so close. The only difference between them is this. It is Jesus. And the disciples can't help themselves. Look at verse 37. It's the hardest verse in the whole in the whole teaching. They said to him, where, Lord? Do you notice how much they're like the Pharisees at this moment? 
What was the Pharisees' question? When will the kingdom come? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. You won't be able to miss it. Don't worry about going into signs. Don't worry about figuring it out. When it comes, you won't miss it. Jesus takes the disciples aside and explains the severity of the judgment of God. That someday all will be made right. In other words, all these clamors for justice are someday going to be answered. But if you've watched the news, you know full well that some people crying out for justice are actually seeking to perpetuate their own form of injustice. You can't have an agreement. This is the difficulty. You can't have an agreement in America right now about what justice even means. People ironically are trying to kill each other over their own understanding of what it means to have and to do justice. Take heart, Christian. One day the king will come and he will make it all right again. There will be deliverance. And there will be judgment, and he will make the difference, and the difference will be their relationship with him. But the disciples can't help it. They still want in on the timetable, and they say, where? Pharisees say, when? The disciples say, where? Where can we watch this? Where can we watch the judgment fall? Look at the harshness of the proverb that Jesus answers them with. He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Well, boy, that's comforting, isn't it? Feel better now? What does that mean? Well, I had to study to understand exactly what Jesus meant. He's quoting a proverb from his own time, but I had a pretty good hunch before I studied that led me on the right path because I grew up in the high desert of Mexico. My parents are missionaries, as I've told you many times. Between my hometown in Mexico and our border crossing of El Paso, Texas, there's about 240 desolate miles of desert. Just hot dirt everywhere you look, flat hardly a hill all across that drive to break up the monotony. And when you make that drive enough times, you will sometimes see vultures circling in the distance. And that always tells you without going to look, someone or something has died or will soon be dead out there. Jesus is giving the disciples a harsh, brutal proverb to tell the, Phar- tell the disciples the same thing he told the Pharisees. Don't worry, boys, you won't be able to miss it. When judgment comes, it will be so obvious that it'll be like vultures circling and slowly walking up on a corpse. You'll know what God is doing when he begins to do it. Which leads to my closing thought to you is for you, especially if you're a Christian. Because in these last six months, I have seen more prophecy teaching and more bad prophecy teaching than at any point in my entire life. In desperation, many Christians have read all kinds of contemporary ideas, contemporary signs, and frankly, some of them have made stuff up. Things that have never been true, that have been twisted into some ridiculous conspiracy theory, and the same prophecy teacher that misled people 10 years ago is misleading them with a new sign now. Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. It's as timely as today's headlines. Here's the point. 
When Christians come to consider prophecy, they usually mistake this simple biblical idea. Number three, we need to be, we need to be doing right and be ready. The point of these warnings is not to say when and where. Jesus was pointedly asked both by his enemies and his disciples, tell us when and where these things are going to happen. His answer to both groups was, you won't be able to miss it. What you need to know, disciples, is to remember to not be like Lot's wife and be caught looking back at the world that is ending you need to remember that you can't save your own life regardless of what anybody tells you. No new teaching, no new program, no new initiative is coming. Inside Christianity or outside Christianity, in the secular world or in the Christian world that will improve or change anything that Jesus has said, that Jesus has promised, or that Jesus is going to do. My point is this, Christians often get so focused on when the Lord will return that they forget how they should be living. The burden of biblical prophecy is not to give you explicit instructions on when, it's to tell you how to live now. I am not disdaining the teaching of prophecy. The book of Revelation explicitly says that a blessing will be given to the one who reads it. It is God's word. It is as much as God's word and as relevant as anything else that God said. The trouble is in our own desire for comfort, rather than hang on to the truth that the Lord would return and he tells us every time in every prophetic section, I will return, here's how to live now. We seek relief in knowing a timetable and trusting a timetable when what we should be hanging on to is the truth of his return. My simple invitation and my challenge for myself primarily, but also to you, is live for the kingdom now and be ready for the kingdom to come. Be the witness that Jesus desires. When people ask you, how do you think this is going to go? How do you think this ends? Tell them about your Savior. Don't lose yourself in the weeds of trying to estimate and discern from tomorrow's newspaper exactly what the Lord is doing. He already told you, when I step back into the world to rule it and to judge it, you won't be able to miss that I have come. You live as his witness right now. It will give others hope and it will give you the comfort that you so desire. Let's live for the kingdom right now. Let's pray. A simple question before I pray, is there a single person here who doesn't know this Savior? I understand. Listen, one of the commitments of teaching the Bible is just to teach you everything that God had said. But I know this is a hard passage. If you didn't catch anything else I said, catch this. You need a Savior, and the only one who can save you is Christ. He lived and died in your place. He wants to trade his life for yours. Your only hope for escaping judgment is to take his saving life. Because whenever the Lord returns, you, need, and you and I need to be reminded daily that we live on borrowed time already. Just as the Lord's return is imminent, so is the day of our death. So if you're not absolutely certain that you're ready to meet the Lord right now, please, in the name of Jesus... I'm asking you to do what Jesus said, repent. In other words, make a U-turn, turn around from your sin, stop trying to save yourself and call out to him and say, Jesus, I don't understand everything this guy said, but I agree that I need a savior. 
I know my sins. I know my guilt. I feel my shame. Please save me. Call out to him. Take his death and resurrection as your salvation, and he'll come and save you. He'll take you into that kingdom. You'll be different. You'll be saved. You'll have a new purpose. You'll have new life. You'll have new energy because you'll be in the family of God. If you do that, please let us know either by sending that text to 868-7258 or if you're here in the tent, fill out the card. Leave it to us. Leave it with us in the basket or give it to me after the service. And Christian, ah, Christian, let's not get in the weeds looking for saviors that will not save us. Let's not look to broken man-made systems. Yes, some are better than others. We should pursue and do justice as much as we can on this earth. But if we put our hope in the kingdom of this world, we'll always be disappointed. True justice, true redemption, true goodness will only come from the crucified king. So let's live for him. Let's witness to him. Let's remind ourselves our comfort comes from the truth of the Savior not our own imaginations, not our own devisings, not even understanding a timetable, which God in his wisdom has told us just to be ready for it to come. Father, if there's a single person here watching online or in this tent that needs you, I pray that they would turn to you right now and be saved. Let them call out in confession and say, Jesus, I need you. Please save me. I'm sorry for my sin. I know I've done wrong. Please come and cover my sin and save me. Take me into your kingdom. Make me your kid. And Father, the rest of us, Lord, who are already walking with you, let us do so with new vision, new energy, to live for the kingdom that has already come and will come fully when you choose to bring it. We love you and we thank you and we ask that you would give us the grace to live with this wisdom and this truth that we may have comfort even if relief does not immediately come. I pray this in Jesus' name and Crosspoint said, amen. amen. God bless you folks. I will be, I'm gonna do my weekly death-defying leap off the stage headed in that direction. And if you're new or you've been here for a while, you need to pray, you need to talk to somebody, I'll be right over there and the prayer team will be right under there under that canopy to my right where it says Student Center. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.